Hello and welcome to the Trauma and Mental Health Reports podcast series. We aim to share stories and knowledge on topics related to trauma and mental health with the community. My name is Lucas Norton, and I'd like to welcome our guest for today's episode, Dr. Susan Clayton, a professor of psychology and environmental studies, and the Whitmore Williams Chair of the Psychology Department at the College of Worcester. Dr. Clayton was on the APA Task Force on Psychology and Global Climate Change. Today we'll be discussing environmental anxiety. So let's get into today's conversation. Uh, hello, Dr. Clayton. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Oh, my pleasure. Happy to be here. Great. Um, so your work uh, is primarily in conservation psychology and environmental psychology. Could you briefly explain that field and the work that you do in it? Sure. I'm glad you asked because it's, it's not a connection a lot of people uh, necessarily are familiar with. Um, so environmental psychology, I'll start with that as kind of the broader field. It is a, a a clear subfield of psychology that focuses on the relationship between people and their physical environment. And that has been around for a long time. It includes things like how people are affected by noise levels or color or um, crowding. Mm, so it's a very but, broad field. Ex exactly. Um, but there was always a sub um, kind of group of people who were environmental psychologists who looked at things like uh, recycling behavior and um, you know, how can you get people to behave in more sustainable ways? Right, right. Um, but then, uh, so that, that's that been around since about the 1950s. But um, in the, really the early, early 2000s, uh, a group of psychologists decided to uh, kind of invent the field of conservation psychology, which is focused on um, promoting a positive relationship between people and the natural environment in particular. So it includes some of the research that was traditionally uh, part of environmental psychology. It also includes research from other areas. Um, everything that looks at how do, you get, how do you understand the way people react to the natural environment and how do you encourage them to uh, kind of show care and concern for it. Excellent, great, that's an excellent explanation, thank you. Um, well, I'd really like to talk with you today about um, environmental, uh, or sometimes called eco-anxiety. Um, what exactly is environmental anxiety? How might you define it? Yeah, so uh, as, you, as your question indicates, there's no clear consensus about what, what the term is, or what term to use, or what it might mean. So you hear about environmental anxiety, eco-anxiety, um, climate anxiety, um, terms like solastalgia. I'll say environmental anxiety very broadly refers to anxiety, a type of anxiety um, associated with a perception of negative environmental changes. Mm. Uh, does it have symptoms? How does it differ from other more generic forms of anxiety other than, I mean, it's just clearly focused on a specific uh, area or fear, uh, fear but um, does it have symptoms? Does it have uh, anything like that? Well, I would say, I mean, so again, it's not a, it's not an official clinical term, so there's no diagnostic criteria, but um, just like other anxiety, you know, I might say I'm feeling a little anxious today, or I'm feeling anxious about my visit to the dentist. Um, you know, so anxiety is normal, and uh, it can be triggered by a number of things. Mm -hmm. And we have evidence that, you know, a fair number of people feel some level of anxiety about environmental issues, such as climate change. But then right. there's also a, a uh, you know, a, a maladaptive or a dysfunctional level of anxiety that starts to interfere with people's ability to function. 
-hmm. And that's when it begins to have sort of real mental health implications. Right. Uh, you mentioned that it's not officially a disorder. It's not listed in the DSM. It's not diagnosable. Um, I mean, sh should it be? Would that be beneficial in any way? Well, I, I've run into that question before, and uh, uh, I guess I don't know. <laughs> I don't know is one answer. Um, at the present, I don't think we have evidence to suggest that it should be a separate diagnosis. Um, right. But if it were the case that the symptoms were distinctive in some way um, for an environmental anxiety as opposed to, say, social anxiety, uh, it might deserve its own, its own name. And right. particularly if the treatment method for environmental anxiety was specific, that might be a reason to give it a, a specific mm. diagnosis. Right. Um, who would you say is most affected by environmental anxiety? Are there certain communities or uh, groups that are more affected by it than others? Well, we, we probably don't have enough data to really answer that question fully. Uh, but I will say that there's evidence, pretty consistent evidence that younger people are more anxious than older people about environmental issues. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, does, uh, in, uh, does identity interact with that environmental anxiety at all? National identity or political identity? Is, is there any interaction there that you've uh, been, been aware of? Absolutely. And uh, as you're probably aware, political identity is kind of one, one of the most significant predictors of your, your attitudes towards climate change, for example. So um, environmental anxiety is interesting in that you, you don't become anxious unless you think that there's a problem. And if you are sort of motivated to not think that there's a problem, then you're going mm -hmm. to have the benefit of being less anxious. So um, Def generally, people you know, on the political right, um, political conservatives, are mm -hmm. less likely to be concerned about environmental issues in general. Right. Um, what kind of impact do you think environmental anxiety has on us uh, as individuals? Or maybe a, a better question would be on communities or on society. Uh, because uh, you, you mentioned before, individually, it seems to be similar to other forms of anxiety. But does it have an impact on communities? Uh, what kind of uh, outcomes uh, occur as a result of uh, environmental anxiety? Um, it's, it's too soon to, to say, um, but I can say a couple of things. One of the things that I do think characterizes uh, environmental anxiety differently than other types of anxiety is that it is kind of socially contested. Mm. Um, so people who might be willing to say, I feel anxious about um, the economy, or you know, I, I feel anxious about health problems, mm -hmm. they might be reluctant to bring up environmental problems because it's seen as maybe a little bit more um, conflictual and they don't want to get into an argument. Hmm, interesting. So I think that that sense that the community might not be 100% behind you um, probably uh, affects the way that, you know, that we see the emergence of, of climate anxiety in particular. Right. But then, um, I know you're going to get to this question, but I think uh, one way to think about community impacts would be to look at the impacts of how communities are being affected by the coronavirus right now. Sure, yeah. Um, yes, uh, I mean, uh, today on April 6, 2020, we are in the midst of uh, a global pandemic, right? Um, and in the light of COVID-19, many governments have had uh, quick and effective responses and extreme measures have been taken, um, like with self-isolation, uh, at great economic cost. Um, why do you think we have such a powerful response to this virus, but such a limited response to some environmental issues? Yeah, uh, and of course, the, the main reason is, I think, the, the 
rapid time scale at which the virus um, emerged and can affect us. So even people who are very worried about climate change, are, you know, are not expecting that next week, um, you know, they're going to die from climate change or next week their community is going to be destroyed mm -hmm. um, or those sort of immediate responses. But um, in terms of the virus, there's a little bit of anxiety about people dying. Uh, so the effects mm. are manifested very quickly. Right. So it's just about speed. Well, not just about speed. It's also, I think people um, probably uh, almost instinctively have a stronger response to the idea of a health impact. Um, mm. The idea that this virus is going to invade my body as opposed to climate change, which seems much more external and yes it's a bad thing but uh, it doesn't feel quite as personal sure. in that uh, sense yeah um i'm i'm a millennial um, my parents lived through the cold war i sort of vaguely remember the very end of it um if we compare it to something like nuclear destruction nuclear war um that's sort of a more a broad existential threat that sort of uh, impacts all of us so would you say that's similar to the coronavirus in the sense of being immediately impactful and that's why we were more worried about it or i mean the amount of money spent on national defense for example was uh, a lot um that's i mean i think climate change is also existential so sure uh, yes you know th that doesn't necessarily explain the difference i think one thing that that uh that example illustrates is it depends a lot what our national leaders choose to focus their attention on. And, mm. you know, I mean, it, it wasn't really a choice to focus on World War II at some level, and it's not really a choice at some level to focus on the coronavirus. But certainly in both of those cases, you really saw um, not just, you know, national political leaders, but all kinds of people talking about it, clearly taking it very seriously. And we have not yet seen that kind of a response to climate change for the most part. No, right. Um, yeah, well, many people have actually, as a result of Corona, many people have predicted that major changes may occur um, as, a, as an outcome of this current crisis. Um, do you think that environmental change could be part of that? I do. And um, I, I, it would maybe be too strong to call it a silver lining, um, but I think that's a, a positive possible outcome that um, one thing that you know, we've definitely seen a response to the coronavirus is that society can make these massive changes when it absolutely mm -hmm. has no choice. So a lot of the, the recommendations for dealing with climate change, people would say, oh, no, we can't do that. The economic impacts will be too great or, you know, it's, it's, too, it's too big of a change. It's too abrupt. But we have done exactly, we've done much, much more to respond to the coronavirus. So um, that's not what we would want to have to do, but we have seen that it's possible. Right, right. Um, in terms of environmental anxiety as um, sort of a mental health issue, I mean, shouldn't we be anxious? Uh, anxiety is adaptive, serves a purpose, and motivates us, right? Yeah, I think that's one of the really um, fundamental questions when it comes to climate anxiety is, well, is it a disorder or is it rational? Mm -hmm. And, you know, at, at some level, it can be both. I think the question is, uh, in terms of... It, not to look at the emotional experience, but to look at the outcome. So is your anxiety motivating you to take action, to pay attention to the issue, um, to get involved, or is your anxiety paralyzing you and preventing you from taking effective action? Right. Um, Do you yeah. have any insights on how we can transform paralyzing anxiety into meaningful action? Is there, is there any uh, evidence of things that might assist us in that? Absolutely. Um, and, and one thing I'll say sort of um, as a preamble is that 
different people are going to react differently. And so there's not, different people will react to the same frightening information in different ways. So um, uh, we have to bear in mind those individual differences and maybe, mm -hmm. you know, some people can cope with more anxiety than others can because um, other people are already facing a variety of different stresses, for example. Right. But, um, I, you know, one of the really important things I think that affects our, our anxiety and respond to environmental issues is this feeling of powerlessness um, and even hopelessness. So um, a really important way to address it is to try and empower yourself. And um, that, that sounds impossible, but um, I would encourage people to find ways to get involved and especially with other people. So um, form groups and it can be different depending on, you know, what on people's personal preference. You might get involved with a political group. You might get involved with a sort of local community group and preparing uh, your community, um, you know, for other people, it could even be a faith-based group or just a group of people um, that meets to talk about their reactions to these issues. Mm -hmm. um, but when you're working with a group, you know, a couple of important things happen. One is that it's just, it's good for us to, to interact with others social. That's a very strong source of resilience. But of course, groups can be more effective than individuals. So you might think, what can I do as an individual? Um, but as a group, you can do more. So you're not going to feel quite so powerless this, uh, sorry, quite so powerless and certainly not quite so alone. Right, right. So, so you're saying that maybe one of the best ways to deal with environmental anxiety is to act, to, to do something to actually uh, help. I think so. Yes. Great. Again, if some, some people may be so anxious that, that they, they might need to do something to kind of calm themselves down before they get to the action stage. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, the scope of, of environmental damage to the world is, is, is frightening. Yes. Um, what could you recommend specifically other than joining a group? What do you think is, is most helpful for us sort of psychologically to uh, affect change and protect the natural world? Well, um, I think a couple of things are really useful. One is uh, to, get, to get accurate information. So another, you know, anxiety is usually associated with a sense, um, not just of negative consequences, but on the uncertainty surrounding those consequences. And, you know, there, there is no absolute certainty when it comes to climate change, but you can certainly get better information. Um, you know, you, you, you'll, you'll hear some people saying, for example, we're all doomed, the world's gonna go up in flames, and no, that, that's not going to happen. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so, if you look at what is actually going to happen, or maybe even in your own community, what kind of threats you're facing, having that, um, that grasp on the, the real likely consequences might help um, right. cope with the anxiety, but also help you decide what's the most effective kind of actions you can engage in. Sure. I know on that topic, uh, a lot of people um, uh, in my generation uh, have sort of are of the mind that, um, individual change isn't enough. We need corporate change or we need governmental enforcement. And uh, so, so doing things ourselves can't, won't, won't have a big impact. Uh, do you, could, could you speak to that at all? Absolutely. I mean, at, at some level, it's absolutely true. Now, one thing we, we have also seen, and I think this is a good reminder to people, is that um, actually individuals can make a huge difference. So, you know, just look at Greta Thunberg and, and the amount of attention she succeeded sure. in drawing to this issue or, um, or Al Gore or, you know, one person who invents a new technology that helps us move towards renewable energy um, mm -hmm. can make a difference. But in general, 
absolutely we get more accomplished. Uh, we're going to be much more effective in working with others. Right. And um, some people have, have uh, challenged a focus on or, or um, a discussion of mental health, individual mental health, because I think it does place that emphasis on the individual and, you know, draws attention away from what is it about societal processes that are contributing to this problem. Right. Great. Um, well, is there anything else that you feel might be useful for us to know about environmental anxiety or about the existential threat of climate change that we're all facing? Um, I think the, maybe the, a good sort of final word on the topic would be just um, all of us, all of us get anxious from time to time. And it's important to give ourselves some techniques to reduce that anxiety. And one can be, you know, to connect with others. And even now when we're all um, socially distancing, there are ways to connect with other people uh, uh, using technology and we should use those. Mm -hmm. um, one is to maybe detach from the media a little bit, uh, take a media vacation um, to reduce that sort of incoming information that makes us an anxious. Mm -hmm. And a third is to uh, remind us of the things that um, support us and 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 help us. And one of those things is the natural environment. Um, so people who are feeling anxious are probably people who care about the natural world. Um, for those people in particular, but really for everyone, to get outside and enjoy spending some time in nature, which we know does tend to reduce stress, would be perhaps a particularly important technique to use at this time. Great. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Uh, it's been fascinating and educational. Well, thank you, Lucas. I enjoyed it. You've reached the end of this episode with the Trauma and Mental Health Report podcast. Thanks for joining us. Connect with us at trauma.blog.yorku.ca. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and newsletter to see our latest content. See you in the next episode.